0: Greetings one and all and welcome to Doerism's the podcast for the week of January the 8th presented as always by the fine folks at County Market Champions for your communities for your kids and for your schools. I'm your host Chris Dewar, and yes, I realize it has been a minute or two since we last talked in this format coming off the holiday hiatus at least from doing the podcast not from work of course because if you're in the basketball business while other folks make merry we make highlights and we had plenty of opportunity to do so with a loaded tournament docket and it was super fun and I make it a point of pride to try over the course of the holiday season to get to every single tournament involving local teams personally so we can kind of breathe it in and break it all down for you more than just looking at video or trading out video and we were just about everywhere. I almost made it to all of them, I did not make it to Moberly this year and I did not make it to Collinsville which I think is the first time I've ever missed out on personally going to that tournament since I've been here. However, we did send our Tate Heipel there a couple of different times. We just had to change the polarity of that Saturday after the Blue Devils lost to Madison on opening night, because as we always tell you, we cover sports as a meritocracy, and the teams that had the best chances to go out and win tournaments, that's sort of where we repositioned ourselves. So instead of making the trip to Collinsville, I made my first ever trip to Greenview to see Payson Seymour up there. And in that spirit, I think that's where I want to start this week on the podcast, talking some basketball, and who it was that actually won the holidays, tournaments? by tournament. Some of it will be obvious, but I think some of it less so. But since we're talking about who won the holidays, I would be remiss if I didn't mention who the biggest winners of the holiday season would be. That would be the newlyweds. By way of Carthage, Illinois, Michael and Dakota Lafferty, congratulations to the new couple. We're super happy for you. It was super neat to see the pictures from your wedding on social media. Two of our favorite people to cover, obviously two fantastic athletes in their 10 years at Illini West and at Pace and Seymour Respect and now they're coaching and they're teaching and they're a couple for life so we want to wish you all a lifetime of happiness and congratulations on the big day before we go any further if you're looking to eat a little better this new year county market can help with their new healthy options to live well in 2020 campaign look for the red apple logo on a variety of products around the store for healthier options and head to the my county market facebook page for video tips on what to look for when choosing your next meal or snack All right, let's talk some basketball, and we'll start with tournaments closest to Quincy and kind of move contiguously outward for reasons that probably will appear obvious when we do so. I think the big winner, and it was pretty obvious, at the uh, Mississippi Valley Invitational was Rushville Industry, a team that has proven under Kyle Watson's command this year to be very much legitimate. Now, I'm not going to pretend like losing pace in Seymour uh, helped that tournament field or strengthened that tournament field in any way. It certainly wasn't a a tournament field that I think made people's eyes pop out of their head from the difficulty of it, but still by the same token when you consider where Rushville industry was and where they are now, uh, you know five games over 500 as of this particular point, it's a really nice story of a team on the rise, and a team that's going to be very difficult for people to play come regional time because they're constructed in such a unique way I mean, they are legitimately old school big in the center, obviously with Jacob Reller, uh, the senior, who by the way congratulations to him, scored his 1,000 career point during the course of the MVIT and got it caught on camera, which is kind of a neat moment, but also because they have Desmond Cardoza as a junior and Cannon Prather as a junior who goes 6-3 and three and 6-4 respectively. Guys who can really get up Guys who can really bang in the post and, you know, ma- matched with Jacob Reller, who's really an economical scorer as well in his own right, you've got three legitimate bigs who can impose their will at any time. And then they've got shooters and guards that find the shooters. And, and they do a really good job sharing the basketball. Uh, some of that comes, obviously, from Keith Orwig uh, and Ethan Eskridge doing their job. But they've got guys who can knock it down. Brady Klitz is a particularly uh, a smart shooter in that avenue. And, you know, it's a team that's a nice mix of seniors and young players that is kind of found some traction. And and I would certainly say Rushville Industry is a team that will have commanded more people's attention by virtue of the fact that they got to hoist a trophy and beat a decent Western team in the offing. I'd also give a little shout out to Southeastern for the fact that yeah, other than a 2-minute breakdown at the end of their game with Western which cost them a place likely in the championship game, uh, Western looked really good, and looked like a team that has really turned the corner and we've talked about it before around here how good Danny Stevens is and how good that supporting cast is around him and how much Stevens does to kind of mix and match things, but You've got a lot of guys who are playing really good basketball who are young on that team. The Ramsey Fries, the Jarek Heatons, guys who are kind of making things go. Reed Bostic had a couple of particularly nice shots. I mean, there's just one senior on that roster. So I think, you know, it's nice to see Brett Ufkus' team turn a corner. I'll make mention of the fact that prior to going over the 500 mark this year and Brett Ufkus' six years as the, the Augusta Southeastern head coach, his team had never had a winning record. They do now and very emphatically so, and I think they're for real, and I think we're going to be talking about Southeastern for the next couple of years. And more fun for Augusta Southeastern, for the Suns, is they're a team, because of Danny Stevens, that starts is going to start drawing some you know shootout-type attention, and people are going to want to have them in the shootout, and they're going to want to see this kid. And, and Stevens is certainly worth the watch, as we've talked about, and I think he's only going to get bigger and stronger, which is only going to make him more fun. So, this is obviously a growing and developing story, but I'd say those were the two biggest winners. Rushville industry, most obviously, and then when you're looking at what took place for Southeastern, the fact that there is some traction there for better days ahead. It's a little tougher to pick a winner from the Macomb Western Holiday Tournament because we did not have a team in the championship game. Uh, West Hancock, which was our only Final Four team, really had what was one of the rougher day showings on the final day of the tournament from a Reno-Pinkston team I can remember. I don't ever remember Drake Hamill ever going 2 of 11 from the field shooting, and he seemed to really struggle in the semifinal game. So it was kind of a really rough outing for West Hancock in that instance. We've talked a lot about Liberty. I thought Liberty had a pretty good tournament, and Greg Altmix's team is obviously talented. And I like the way that Brighton uh, Klingle has certainly raised his game along with the rest of that cast now to kind of – connect those pieces even better but if I had to pick somebody who I guess I would call a winner maybe a dark horse winner it might have been Macomb because that was a team that obviously still has struggled but a team that got a couple of wins there played a little better than what people thought they were I mean Sam Allen's a lot of fun to watch and he's a guy who can carry you when he gets hot and I, I think maybe the storyline was there's there's brighter days there's some light ahead for Macomb after the rough start they've had again They're a team that's in kind of the same position with Quincy Notre Dame where scoring creation is going to be tough for them. Uh, It's not a team that's going to put 80 on the board very often. More likely they're going to have to win if they win with 40 or 50. But I think you could see the architecture of that. And I think, obviously, Jeremy is a great coach, and he's done a fantastic job at Macomb. And I think he'll make this team better. And an endemic of, you know, Kevin Meyer at Quincy Notre Dame as well. Their teams are always better in February than they are in November, which I think is the mark of good coaching. So I, I think if that was the takeaway from what was kind of a lackluster Macomb Western tournament, at least as far as the local teams this year, I think that would have been the biggest takeaway there on the boys' side as well. Um, you know, I, I guess from a, a, a standpoint, point of maybe not getting the best competition in the world, but I'd say Brian Ray's team was a big winner. Obviously, they won the championship at Greenview, but Brian Ray's purpose was, you know, I think they would have won championships just about anywhere they played. I think Brian Ray's purpose was to see some teams they don't see, which is why his team is now out of the MVIT. He's kind of tired of seeing the same teams and wants to give his team a chance to kind of refocus and a little bit of a playoff feel. So they saw some teams like a Danville Schlarman that they wouldn't ordinarily see, and credit to the good people at Greenview. Super nice people up there who took really good care of us, great hospitality in an old school gym. But what I really sort of liked about Pace and Seymour is Brian Ray got to do in the middle of December what he generally does in the summer, take a team bonding trip. And, you know, I think the wins and losses obviously were, you know, that's why you go. But I think that's immaterial to the overall scheme of trying to build a a team for the future and friendships and chemistry and all of the things that make successful enterprises successful. So I would say Payson Seymour was obviously successful in that round. And I really do think, again, to emphasize a point, we'll talk a little bit later about great point guards in the area, but I think Hayden Hildebrand might be the most improved point guard in our region. He certainly had another great tournament up there and actually, I think, led the team in scoring in one of those games. Memory serves me right with, I think, 18 points. So obviously, you know, the, the Payson Seymour thing's coming around and it's coming around pretty nicely. Uh, Waverly. um, Before I get to that, let me talk about Collinsville. And I know that's taking the geography out of order, but I really think the big winner locally out of Collinsville with Quincy High losing to Madison was West Central. And, And I think we see that now because as I'm recording this, Winchester West Central has been installed as the number one ranked team in class 1A basketball, largely because they beat in the regular season, obviously at Winchester the other night, a Madison team that took down Quincy High School, powerful, venerable, historic Quincy High School. And, you know, I, I don't know that Quincy High School was as bad or Madison was as good that night as things appeared. But West Central beating Madison by 20 has cut the attention of everybody. And even before the state rankings com- came out, I mean, I, I heard people who traditionally – are not Class 1A or Class 2A people who watch a bigger brand of basketball starting to buzz about West Central after the Madison win. So you know the Collinsville tournament. You know I give Quincy high credit for bouncing back the way they did, and certainly give Jeremiah Tolton credit for finding his game the way that Andy Douglas wants by starting to take the ball to the rack and attacking it a little bit. Because when he does, the whole Kevin Garden or excuse me, the whole Kevin Durant ness of his game comes more into sharper relief which he did, and Quincy High School bounced back from that loss and played pretty well the rest of the tournament and obviously won the consolation championship. But again, I'd tell you the biggest winner there was Winchester West Central because now they're lording it atop the Class 1A rankings after a really good showing at Waverly. But if you're going to ask me who sort of the dark horse best, best, you know, who won the Waverly tournament in terms of some momentum, I, I I'd argue it was Jacksonville route because they're the only team this season on the board that's actually given West Central a game and lost by three in the championship game, and nobody expected a route to be there. And Will Whalen's team has really kind of caught fire and done some really nice things. And, you know, it's Corey Ronan, but it's so much more than that. There's a couple of really good bigs there that haven't really gotten the credit they deserve. I think Gus Abel needs to be pretty much near the top of any list of really good juniors in our area, or excuse me, really oh. good sophomores in our area going into his junior year, because I think you can see the dynamics of his game that will lend him to be. Be a really effective big. And between he and Nick Cook, who transferred from Jacksonville, they've got a traditional high and low post center to work around. And they've got shooters. And, you know, we've long been high on Adam Lindsay and Ian Hayes and those guys. And, you know, we've seen Will Merwin really step up as a freshman, another of those really good freshmen this year in the, the class who's starting to to make some plays and do some things. So there's a lot to like about where Jacksonville route was coming out of that game. I think they've legitimized themselves. And obviously they lost a tough game. Uh, to a really good Winchester West Central team, but again, I think we've seen Route maybe starting to profile as a top 10 team in the state of Illinois in Class 1A, and that's a really good thing building forward. Uh, biggest winner at Bloomington, Notre Dame. Excuse me, at Bloomington at the uh, State Farm Classic. Try this again. Biggest winner at the State Farm Classic in Bloomington locally? Well, since only Quincy Notre Dame was playing there on the boys' side and since only Central Southeastern was playing there on the girls' side, I'm going to kind of go off the board and say Josh Sheffield because, you know, obviously – Quincy Notre Dame only had one win in that tournament on the last second buzzer beater by Mr. Sheffield, but I think that was some of the proof, as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, with teams looking to find some traction with McComb. I think that was proof that Quincy Notre Dame does have some, you know, the dark clouds had lifted, and that was not a game that was particularly tough for the Raiders because they lost Jack Marth to a knee injury. I don't think it's going to be a major knee injury. I think it was more bruised than anything else, but they also lost Grant Heyer for a time in that game to bust and open his chin, so... You know, for Quincy Notre Dame to have found a way to win that to win that game against a very athletic opponent says an awful lot about the Raiders fight and their character and who they are, and yes, they're gonna continue to struggle to score, but I think as as people start getting healthier and they've got some pieces coming back, and as you know, Kevin Meyer finds a lineup that he really likes and, and puts it all together, I think that's a team that probably has a brighter future than most of us would have thought early on after watching Quincy Notre Dame play McComb in a in a Lack of scoring fest, for lack of a better word. I think both those two teams are are probably a little more positive than we thought early on. Um, As far as the girl side of things, I I thought the big winner at Moberly was Lauren Frazier. You know, Canton pulled off a huge victory over New Bloomfield, and we've discovered that Lauren Frazier is an alpha. Um, she really looks like it. And, you know, that's a pretty good team. It's a young team uh, that Danielle Baker has, but it's a team that obviously has found sort of an ace. You know, when you're starting a freshman like Naraya Clay, who's very good, but she's still a freshman at point guard, you always wonder about teams like that because that's sort of an ascent to the fact that we're we're going to have some growing pains. But when you have a Lauren Frazier down low to dominate the way she did, and I think she had 33-12 and 12 playing just three quarters against New Bloomfield, And I got a chance to see her in person at the Highland Tournament this week. She has legit chops down low, finding ways to score. She's very, very clever as a scorer and doesn't seem to be shaken with her poise. So I think that speaks very well of her. Uh, Biggest winner at uh, Beardstown? You know, I don't know that we have one. Jacksonville, route, you know, not making it to the championship game and playing Lewiston was kind of a disappointment. And I say that, you know, in the wake of Route losing to Lewiston big time. Uh, As we record this, 67-32, I think, was the final. 62-37 was the final on Tuesday night, but obviously it needs to be said, no Bella McCartney in that game, so Route was without its all-stater uh, at that level, and that obviously means a lot. So I would have liked to have seen a heads-up battle between, you know, at full strength between now number 1-ranked Lewiston and now number 6-ranked Route, heads-up. We still haven't seen that. We'd have liked to have seen it at Beardstown, but, you know, Illini West played really well. Katie Kirkham always plays well in that gym. She's she's become a really risen talent who kind of gets overshadowed a little bit behind Harold and Artman. She shouldn't be. She's a very, very good basketball player. Liberty had some great moments putting things together. And I think we saw from from Brad Bergman's team that, uh, you know, when when the chemistry is good, Liberty has a chance to be very good. And, and the girls kind of had to figure that out for themselves because sometimes it doesn't feel very organic the way they work together. And it's starting to feel more so. And more people are stepping up, whether it's a, you know, an Allie Coonrod or a Kenzie Wagner. I mean, I don't think it matters who's the leading scorer is anymore for, for Liberty. And that's a great advancement for that team. And I think we we see the architecture of a better finish for Liberty coming down the stretch and they could be a team that really makes some noise come regional time as well. It's, it's obviously a very deep team and athletic team and versatile team and the number of people who can lead them in scoring or put 15 on the board when they need it. So I think Greg Wellman and, and Brad Bergman have done a very good job kind of cultivating what they can be. I'm, I'm still very curious to see what unity becomes as well, because I think when that team hits its max queue, they're, they're pretty dangerous team as well. So I would say those were the big winners of the holiday season, but we've had a lot since the holiday season, uh, Roll our direction, you know, um, we've had, you know, a, a team rise to number one, as I mentioned earlier with West Central and not long after that controversy as the West Central Cougars hang a probably an unnecessarily large loss on Pleasant Hill. Which I think ended up being a 105 to 14 victory, which had tongues wagging largely because anytime you see a score like that, people tend to bristle, and especially when it involves you know an opposing coach who people generally think is one of the classiest in the area. And Blake Skillman, I know there's been some blowback already on that. That'll be message board topic. So it's uh, it's already getting interesting and spicy. The fact that West Central assumes the the throne of number one in the state, and people are already you know looking for reasons to hate them. Welcome to the world of being really good in basketball. Um, like I said, I, I don't know the dynamics of what happened on that night. And, you know, obviously that's probably not a good look for anybody involved, but sometimes those things do get out of control and I don't know what the circumstances of it was. And, you know, it'd be an interesting question for Ryan Seasting down the road. I, I'm sure he probably regrets the way that ends up. That's, you know, sort of unfortunately the byproduct of basketball, you know, when really good teams play teams that are overmatched. It probably shouldn't have been that large of a spread, but again, I can't speak to why that happened or why that was. It was, and it probably wasn't, you know, what anybody intended. So that was unfortunate. Also, we've we've begun Missouri tournament play this week as I'm talking to you. And it's nice to get into that as we enter a really big week as I speak, you know, the Clopton Tournament and the Highland tournament are going on, and then we'll have those championships on Saturday, plus the start of the Winchester Invitational. Speaking of West Central and Payson Seymour and Route and all those really great teams finally being united into the same bracket. Uh, we've got the Central Southeastern Girls Tournament, which again brings Illini West and number one Lewiston and, you know, a, a pretty spicy Liberty team and and uh, Brown County, who can be very dangerous behind Bell Cook, all into the same gym as well. Quincy High School's there as well, who's played very well. Been very impressed with Quincy High School this season. Uh, considering what they lost in terms of graduation, I think the, the play in the post, you know, has been incredibly good for a team that I think a lot of people had kind of didn't know what that would be like. And, you know, obviously Olivia Edwards is playing at a very high level. We're going to talk about point guards in a second. I think she's playing as well as any girls point guard in our, our area right now, and she should be commended for that. And, you know, they're finding ways to to get the ball to the people that matter and, and the hot hands, and they've got a lot of pieces. And I think Brad Dance has done a pretty darn good job. I mean, also since we last met, Quincy Notre Dame lost the basketball game on the girls' side, which, you know, I, I think largely might have been the function. Uh, I, I don't want to take anything away from a very good, pleasant play, Planes team, But I think that was largely the game you play coming off Christmas where everybody looks terrible and Quincy Notre Dame got down 11-0 and really could never recover against a good Plains team. So you get that working and people are talking about, well, is Quincy Notre Dame vulnerable? I, I don't know that they are. I think everybody is to a degree vulnerable on a given night, but I still think that's a wildly talented basketball team that Eric Orrin has has on his hands. And for my money, it's still the best girls basketball team I've seen this season. Palmyra's not far behind. I mean, the girls obviously play a high level of defense and are averaging just 29 points allowed per game, which speaks volumes about who they are and what they've become. And, you know, it's not just Megan Stone and Bailey Loveless. They get a ton of credit, but it's a lot of different girls. Jansen Jetty's been a really nice, pivotal defensive piece for them. You know, she's sort of become there. I, for lack of a better word, Stacey Ogman. You know, that person who goes out and you know can can really change the dynamic of a game with her defense. Speaking of defensive intensity, was super impressed with the you know the strides that Bryce uh, Starks has made for Monroe City. You know, and and you watched him two years ago. He wasn't this level of defender, but he works hard to hawk the ball on every single play. And I think Monroe City probably runs away with a Clopton tournament title. Maybe both Clopton tournament titles and the boys and the girls side because people were buzzing about the great job Cody Leonard's team had done there to open up the tournament. And and they're a team that's starting to play really well and starting to find some traction after the big loss to Notre Dame. I think that was sort of a come to Jesus, and the girls have have kind of figured some things out. I really like Hallie Dyer. I like the way she plays. I like the fact that she can get to the rim pretty much at will. I think Riley Quinn is playing some of the best basketball of her career, probably better known for her softball, but she's starting to really kind of put things together. And, you know, you've got some people there and some pieces that are going to make Monroe City dangerous. And I'm very much enjoying down the road, uh, likely at the Lenzini, another perhaps Monroe City showdown, uh, you know, with Palmyra. I think we need to see those. Those are fun, and they make things interesting for us. All right, I promised you I'd talk point guards. Uh, in our area this year, I, first of all, I guess the general takeaway on the boys' side is just how good, you know, the top ten point guards in our area are. But I would say specifically the top four, and I would list that group. And if I had to put them in order right now, I'd probably order them thusly: I'd lead off with Gabe Cox, who's averaging 22 points per game, he's shooting 59% from the field uh, for two and 34% from three. Uh, he's averaging seven assists a game. And if you had a chance to watch him dole out 17 assists at Madison, you'd know his his floor vision is exceptional. He's incredibly unselfish, didn't take a shot in that game until his team already had 29 points on the board, which is rare for an all-state guard who's leading your team in scoring to do that. He's also, as we've touched on here, really good rebounder at 4.3 a game. Uh, depending upon how you like your point guards, you can order these two guys, whichever. I think Brandon Cracked is uh, you know, probably the best combo guard in our area right now, as he's just been insane in the scoring department. And I say that with him coming off another 31-point performance tonight in the opening quarterfinal round. Uh, for Clark Gowdy against Canton uh, of the uh, the Highland Tournament. He's just an insane scorer, and um, he's that guy with incredible touch and deep range. He might be the best three-point shooter on this list. Might be the best three-point shooter in our area right now, as good as he is. There's almost a, you know, it's it's a weird thing to say, but there's almost a Drake Hamill feel to the way he shoots, just the release and the the calmness in his ability to lift, elevate, and get the ball off of his hand. So he, he's certainly a nicely put-together player. I'd put Lucas Reese in that list. If you would like pure point guards better at number two at this point because he's sort of a guy that, like Gabe Cox, can really manage a game. I don't know that Lucas Lucas can score. I'm not saying that. I don't know that Lucas is ever going to put up a 31-point game because I don't think that's ever going to be called for or needed from him. But, you know, he he's a guy who you know, can certainly find a way to pick apart an offense at Max Q. And then I, I got Corey Ronan number four at this point. Again, there are some pretty good point guards out there, but I, I think Corey Ronan is probably the best physical specimen of this group in terms of his ability to elevate and jump. You know, he's a Division One kid, obviously, and you know, for baseball and going to Hawaii, but you know, his his basketball is superb and, and there were times where he carried route and, and looked like one of the best players, one of the three or four best players in the entire region. So those would be my top four point guards going into the season. If you have some Suggestions for me, or guys, you don't think we considered enough? And again, I, I think the top ten is really good, but those are the four that have stood out the most to me at this point from a great, and exceptional list of point guards. There are some really good ones at Liberty and Monroe City and Palmyra, obviously. Otherwise, those teams wouldn't be as good as they are. Uh, but that, I guess, right now, that would be the top of my list. And and there's some really athletic teams out there as well that uh, you know that would benefit from some of these point guards. If you know, if you put a Gabe Cox on some of these. Teams, teams out there. I mean, it would be totally transformational. That's, that's how good those guys are moving forward into the season. Um, again, huge week ahead for us. We've got lots of wrestling coming up this week, tournament time. So hope you'll check in next week. Cause we're going to kind of break down wrestling, but you know, it's an exceptional week of the fact that we finally get Palmyra and Centralia on the same mat this week, and those are two teams. I think Centralia probably wins a state championship. I'm not sure Palmyra is that far down the podium from them. Those are two exceptionally good squads, and it's going to be fun to see them in person. And got a chance to see Palmyra again in person this week, uh, just before they blitzed the field without Ross Arch, who was out with a stiff neck. Put 140 points on the board at the Viani tournament, so that's telling you something. I mean, those, those guys are really stepping up across the board. And I think, you know, being around excellence in the wrestling room breeds excellence. So I think that's why you're seeing guys who, you know, like Mr. King or Mr. St- the Stevens boys, you know, really step up their game and really become next level guys, and and that's been important. And you know, obviously, I think when you can start every match with Caden Crane at 106 as the number one ranked wrestler in the state, as a guy who's going to probably win you that match every single time out, that's fun. And I'm going to love seeing Palmyra at the Quincy High Invitational, all of this weather permitting, because as I open my mouth, I see there's snow in the forecast for what is my favorite Saturday of the winter, this coming Saturday. So that's Rough as well. All right, before we get to the pop culture portion of our podcast, every penny matters. That's why County Market's Penny Pincher coupon book is so great. You can save more on groceries, more than 40 coupons, totaling $200 in savings in this month's newer, bigger edition. Look for the Penny Pincher in your mailbox or pick one up at your local county market. Uh, usually, we end these uh, podcasts talking about pop culture and things that we've enjoyed, and I guess. I will end talking about, you know, since we missed you over the holidays, I did get a chance to catch up on all my movie watching and caught up in the Golden Globes a little bit. And uh, Like I said, this year from a movie standpoint, I've liked everything I've seen. I mean, there have been some exceptional movies, but sometimes some of these movies that are Best Picture nominees are a little bit overrated or there's there's things about them that are off-putting to me. I really haven't found this this year, and I'm still working my way through. Uh, I still have to see Parasite. Haven't seen that yet, but you guys know my love of Snowpiercer, so obviously given the director in question, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be a fan. I've heard nothing but good work. But, you know, even the films that are sort of middling just off the, the the you know, the the best picture track, whether it's Little Women from Greta Gerwig, which I've seen, or Knives Out. I mean, those are really good movies. I also got a chance, and, you know, I, I don't want to rant and rave about this too much because I do love living in the city of Quincy, and I don't want to sound like guy who grew up in a big city. But, you know, for as much as you make concessions living in a small town, and you make them willingly because I, I do love being here— You know, I've seen, like I've touched on a number of times around here, the food culture in Quincy has advanced, you know, incredibly over the last 25 years. As I've touched on before, you know, I showed up in town, got a visitor's guide and was told Pizza Hut was ethnic food. Now we've got a thriving Thai restaurant. We've got a, a number of good Mexican restaurants and some good taco trucks. We've got, you know, a Japanese hibachi grill. We've got sushi. We've got four I count them four farm-to- table restaurants so Quincy is really taking great strides in that department but we still haven't really improved cinema uh, I mean it, you know you have to drive to go see really good movies if you want to see them you have to put the work in and it just strikes me as odd that we have you know jumanji the next level and cats playing at multiple theaters and it's like taking up multiple screens and I get it because it's Christmas vacation people want to take their kids but Come on, can't we just have a Wednesday where they show an art house film or two, you know, for people who want to go see, as I did, Driving 90 Minutes to Burlington, Uncut Gems? And I guess that's what I want to talk about because I know that's kind of a sports movie and it's an Adam Sandler movie, which, you know, people have, you know, feelings about Adam Sandler strongly or negatively based on his comedy or whatever. You know, I almost tried selling that to one of the local movie theaters and tried to tell them that it was like Little Nicky too. and they'd think, well, people of Quincy aren't smart, they'll go see Little Nicky too, but they won't go see a critically acclaimed movie by the Safty brothers. Well... Here's the deal. I, I you know, I, I enjoyed Uncut Gems as much as you can enjoy something that's a two-hour and 15-minute anxiety ride, because it really is that. But I, I I did think Adam Sandler does the dramatic thing incredibly well. If he didn't, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson wouldn't have cast him in a dramatic role, you know, many moons back with uh, Punch Drunk Love. And, and you know, the Safty Brothers did it, and Adam Sandler was perfect for that role. But that's not really what I want to talk about this movie. I, I, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. It was an enjoyable watch and, uh, you know, I, it's not my Best Picture. It's probably not my top ten for Best Picture, but it was something I enjoyed, and I think Adam Sandler deserves all the best actor buzz that he gets. I don't think I'd have him winning it at this point, Uh, but he belongs in the final five. I'll grant you that. But what I did want to talk about was the acting performance, the tour de force performance in that movie by Kevin Garnett, who the camera loves. And I walked out of that. My biggest takeaway from Uncut Gems was give me all the Kevin Garnett you can get on screen. And I realized... The extent of his acting was playing Kevin Garnett, but man, was it good! And every time he's on that, you know, that palpable charisma people talk about translates to film. He's really good. He's incredibly believable. He comes off as, as you know, as a guy who's not acting. And, and, and you know, as much as playing yourself cannot be acting, but you know, it, it feels very real and it feels very organic. As Adam Sandler plays basically, you know, the jeweler to the stars in the Diamond District in New York, and Kevin Garnett comes into his private studio. And it's KG, man, but it's KG with a lot of layers and nuance. And there's a very critical part at the end of the film where it's Adam Sandler talking KG into dominating in, you know, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And, man, it's just – you can see – that even without saying a word, Kevin Garnett can can emote. So that would be the thing I'd tell you. If you do get a chance to see the movie, take in Kevin Garnett's performance and appreciate it because it's really, really good. Who would have thought that coming out of Chicago Farragut is the second best player on that team? And I still will fight to the death to tell you that Ronnie Fields was a better high school player than Kevin Garnett was, and anybody who's seen him will probably attest to that as well because Ronnie Fields was the deal but man Kevin Garnett what a what a career and and man what a performance in that movie super fun it was it was neat to see that and you know i like the fact that the Safty brothers like you know, cast Mike Francesa in a role, which if any of you are out there as aspiring filmmakers and want Chris Dewar in your film someday for kitschy, nostalgic's sake, I will I will play any role you want. I just want to I want to get my SAG card and say I was in a movie and I can't act. I'll tell you that, In, in you know, in full disclosure, I, I was in Whistle Stop USA as Casper McDuff had three lines and I actually had to sing, which got awful horrible. But. You know, I I could probably channel it. I'm a method actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, I'd like to tell myself. But on that note, let's end the podcast for the week. Again, always appreciate your support. Appreciate the fine support of our good friends from County Market as well. It has been a pleasure, my friends. We'll see you right back here next week for the podcast.